Say with me, if you would, speak, Lord. More time, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. More time, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Lord, we not only welcome you to sit with us, to talk to us, to comfort us and lift us, but we want you into the very depths of every part of our life. Come in your power, come in your glory, and may we know we've been in your presence today because we're different when we leave. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Be seated, please. Good morning, Church of the Savior. The Lord has been so good to bring us together this morning. His plans and His arrangements are the very best. I don't know if you had a chance to attend Minute to Win It, but we had a great time. A big thank you to the Heffelbauers. What a fun night with an insightful devotional. As you well know, we are in the middle of our 40 days of prayer. Not only do we have a prayer booklet for each family and prayer focuses for our children and the prayer walls to my left and to my right, but we also have our Thursday night prayer meeting at 7 p.m. in the worship center. Please consider participating. They are special nights. Sunday, March 14th at 6.45 p.m., Redeemed Church of the Savior's Youth Ministry will host a night of worship, which will include an interpretive dance, spoken word, and special guests. You are invited to attend. Everyone is welcome. If you'd like to enjoy this service, please register for this event online. And as a side note, there will be no child care. Next week, you will be able to again start checking in and getting printed name tags. You can do that at the kiosks in the lobby. But if you want to use your mobile app to check in, you can do that also. We have instructions on how to use your mobile app on our website. And we have an instruction card at guest services. You might be thinking to yourself, why would I do that? Well, it actually helps us better care for you, our congregation, your congregation. It helps us better serve you, and it helps us better serve each other. And the name tags help us get to know each other. What a blessing to be able to register and build community. Church of the Savior, these are your announcements. I love you and believe that God has called you to greatness. Blessings to you as you receive from God in today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. If you don't know who they are, say hello. Turn to the book of Ezra. It's not easy to find. If you get to Psalms, you went too far. And the title of our message is Fasting and Humility. Say it, please. Fasting and Humility. And so I'm going to talk about two things, primarily. What would you guess it would be? Remember, the answer is always on the screen, third grade level, fasting and humility. And Lord, as we study your word, your word is what pierces our heart 
and changes our minds. So open the scriptures to us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Ezra chapter 8, the little book of Ezra. And we're at verse number 21. You got your Bible? Hold it up. Let me see it. Hold it up to you bring your Bible. Great, 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 great. Now I'm reading from New American Standard. It says, Ezra says, then I proclaimed a fast. What did he proclaim? A what? There by the river, by the river Ahava, that we might, now look at the reasons here for fasting. That we might humble ourselves before our God, that we might seek from him a safe journey for our little ones. Everyone say little ones. That's the next generation. And all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because we had said to him that our God is favorably disposed to all who seek him, but his power and his anger are against those who forsake him. So, verse 23, because they had these challenges, verse 23 tells them what they did. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and guess what he did? He listened to our entreaty. Now, if you're new to the church, uh, we're, we've for years have dedicated the time prior to Easter to 40 days of prayer. We're trying to do what Ezra was doing. And we have this booklet. We've got some left. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to take one. It's called Seek God for the City. It teaches people how to pray. It's a great tool to use in your families, in your home. And I want you to join us. Let's all pray and seek the Lord together. For instance, uh, this Thursday, my wife and I were praying together. Do we do it every day? We try every day. We miss a couple of days. And so we were doing this on Thursday. And I took the little book and I circled some of the things that I wanted to make sure I prayed for. And we're praying for university students on this day. That's the topic. And we also joined a ministry at UK's campus that's getting Christians to pray for the 30,000 UK students. And so if you go to UK Pray, just like they did me, they will send you 40 names, first names only. And by the way, I think we have about 80 names that you can come up and pray for. And uh, so we prayed, instead of me praying for one every day, I'm kind of forgetful at times. I'm praying for four. And I'm going to do that for 10 days. Four for 10 days. And so my wife and I called their names out. Now, how many men do we have in this room? Hold your hand up. You're a man type creature. Okay. If you are married, gentlemen, it's your job to lead your family in prayer. It's your job. Well, I don't know how to pray. It's kind of dawning for us men. It's just prayer. It's just talking to God. So grab her hand, sit down, and whatever you're concerned about, talk to the Lord about it. And this is a great, great tool. Okay? So do that. Try to do that every day. Teach your family to pray. Now, notice on the wall, we call these our, our walls of prayer. And these walls will be feel, filled in the next 40 days There's post-it notes. 
If you have somebody that you love and they need Christ bad, put their name on a post-it note and stick it up there and we will pray for them. But you're also committing to pray for others. So you, did you get it? You get it? I got it. Okay. Let's go to the text. Now our hero in the story, Ezra, he is two things. He is both a priest in the Jewish faith but he's also a scribe. What do you mean a scribe? Scribes are some of the most intelligent people in that society. They are scholars and they study the scriptures and they are greatly trusted because they are the people that copy the scriptures so other places can have the scriptures. There's no photocopying machine. There's no printing presses. You can't go to a Lifeway bookstore and buy a Bible. This is the only way the scriptures can be kept and disseminated. And they're very, very expensive. As a matter of fact, I started to share with you some of the rules of how they copied these. Uh, these men would look at the scripture. They would carefully measure every Hebrew word, the spacing. If the spacing was off a little bit, they'd tear the whole sheet up. If there's more, if sometimes one mistake, they would tear up a whole week's worth of work. And they would, every word they transcripted, they would speak the word before they wrote it and they would pray the word. So these are very serious people and you and I should be very grateful because we have the scriptures because of these people. And the people around the world have the scriptures. By the way, everybody doesn't get a chance to have the scriptures. When I was in China a number of years back, I was working with a Chinese pastor who was working with North Korean refugees. I had one church, she had 60 churches. And some of her underground churches were bigger than my church. She was an amazing woman. She had been tortured for her faith. Her whole family had been in prison. She never married. She dedicated herself to the gospel. And one day I was with her and I asked to see her Bible. I have a picture of her in my wall in my office. And her Bible was six spiral ring notebooks that you would buy at Target. Her Bible was completely handwritten. How many Christians would do that to get a Bible? And so what they would do in these Chinese villages and community, if they were fortunate enough to get a Bible, they would take scissors and cut the Bible up. And they would disseminate the copies. For instance, you might get Matthew, and I would get Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians, and somebody else would get Genesis. Uh, the person that had Psalms got two nights, probably. And they would stay up all night copying. And then go to work the next day and then swap and copy other parts of the scriptures. And uh, as far as I know, she went back to prison after I left her for the gospel. That's how much she valued the word of God. Now, Ezra in this text has two missions. The first mission is he's got to get people back into the scriptures. That's his first mission. Now go backward just one chapter to chapter 7 and look at verse 10. And I would ask you to mark it. 
If a Christian comes to church without a pen or marker, they lose 30 points every time in heaven. That's what I think. Okay, chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra set his heart. What do you mean set his heart? He determined. He says, I'm going to make this happen. I'm not going to quit. I am on this. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and then to teach the statutes of the Lord and ordinances to his people of Israel. So this is his first mission. He's going to study the scriptures for himself. And I urge you to get in the book yourself. You need to study the scriptures for yourself. I just think it's wise for a believer to read through the scriptures every single year. If you want to grow, learn to do that. And then he set his heart to practice the word of God. What do you mean practice it? He's going to live out what the scripture says. James says this, chapter 1, he says, Prove yourself to be doers of the word, not hearers who just are deceiving themselves. Now, why would you read it? Why would you study it if you're not going to do it? Why would you ever go to a Bible study? Why would you ever go to a church service and not walk away with one thing that you're going to do differently? Why would you, when you read the scriptures on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, why would you not highlight and mark, this is what the Lord is saying for me to do? That's called application. And then the third thing he determined to do because the people have been without the scriptures. The people are going to a place they've never been before, the promised land. And they have very little basis for walking with God. And so he says, when I'm going to get there, I'm going to teach the scriptures. Now, we need about 300 of you in this room to commit to study the scriptures, to practice the scriptures, and teach the scriptures. You don't have to go to seminaries to, uh, to teach the scriptures. You don't have to become ordained to teach the scriptures. You just have to find some people that you can invite to your home or you can go to their home and you guys do a Bible study together. I've been a believer for 48 years and I'm not uh, pumping myself up for any reason, but for 48 years, I've probably taught the scriptures to an average of five to six different groups over all those years. And do you know who benefited the most? Me. If you want to learn the scriptures, teach them. Open your home to a Bible study. The guy that mentored me as a brand new Christian, I was 18, he was 26. He was a high school teacher and a baseball coach. And he was the first person I've ever seen that could open the Bible and make it talk. My family didn't read the Bible. My church didn't study the Bible. It was an irrelevant book to me until Jerry showed me the life that's in this book. So I would urge you, learn to pass it on to other people. And our nation needs revival. Let me tell you where revival starts. Revival starts when people go back 
to the scriptures. Families, husbands, teenagers, and our nation needs revival, and it's going to come starting with this book right here, and that's for all of us to do. The opposite happens. Spiritual decline happens in a family, in a church, in a nation, when the Bible is neglected. Someone say, that's great preaching today. Wow. Good job, Steve. Say that again. Lord have mercy. The second mission. Here's the second mission. Second mission. First mission, get people into the word. Second mission, he's got to get the people of the promise, the Jews, back to their promised land. That's where they're destined to be. That's where they're called to be. They are the first missionaries to bring the gospel to the rest of our us Gentiles. And if they're not there, they're not going to fulfill God's purpose, which means the Gentiles aren't going to come to Christ. So he has got to get them back to the promised land where they belong. Because of disobedience, God allowed the Babylonian Empire to sweep into that country to take the country captive three different times. 500,000 Babylonian troops around Jerusalem They battered the walls. They starved people into submission. It took them two years to take Jerusalem. A million people died. A hundred thousand went off into slavery for one reason. The people of the book left the book and disobeyed the Lord. And I want to say this. If you will not listen to the voice of God in your life, he, because he loves you, will find some lever, some fulcrum to get your attention. If it means losing your job, he can take a switch and switch your legs. He can take a paddle and paddle your behind. Everyone say behind. He can take a baseball bat in a loving way to your pumpkin-headed noggin. And by the way, the king of Jerusalem got drugged behind a chariot with chains in his nose and across his chest because he would not listen. They were abducted. They were forced to live in a foreign land for 70 years. That is a long pause. I wonder with what's happened in our nation, if God is not trying to get the attention, not of political parties, but the body of Christ. And if we are not listening, if we are not listening, If we are not listening, if it's same old, same old, come to church for an hour, sing a few songs, go home, live and act like a pagan, let me tell you what, we got some rough times ahead of us. 
because God loves his people. And we said we were in his family. And when you say you're in and then you act like you're not, you will get a spanking. He will come for you and start taking his belt off. He will. And we've lost the fear of God. He means what he says. Do we have a chance for revival? Or we have a chance for really, really difficult times. And so our man Ezra, he's prompted by the Spirit. Everyone say it. He's prompted by the Spirit. And I want to say to you, during 40 days of prayer, you should keep some sort of card on you all the time. You should keep a pen with you all the time because God's Spirit will speak to you. And he's not obligated to speak twice because you're not paying attention. And if you don't write it down, you have no chance of obeying the Lord. So Ezra, this scribe and priest, gets prompted to approach the most powerful person on the face of the earth. By the way, this is really dicey and this is really dangerous. He did it anyway and he asked for permission to take people back to the promised land for the second time. And the king granted it. Crazy. By the way, you see on the screen a map of the Persian Empire at its height. The book of Esther says there were 127 provinces, a huge expanse of land, thousands of ethnic groups, hundreds of millions of people, and the empire in the book of Esther said it it stretched all the way to the border of India on the right. See it, the Indus River? And all the way to North Africa, to Ethiopia, south of Egypt. Big expanse. Big expanse. And so, he's wanting to bring the Hebrew people back to the land of Israel. And they came back in three groups. How many groups? Three groups spread out over the years. Now, I give you dates and stuff because dates and history run parallel to the truth of the scripture. History and archaeology always proves the truth of scripture. It has never disproved it. So the first group went back in 538 B.C., before Christ. Now, the way dating is done prior to the birth of Christ, the dates go backward, 538, 537, 536, till we get to zero, and then they go forward, okay? And this story is found in the first six chapters of Ezra, okay? Let me move, move through this. A prince in the line of the Messiah named Zerubbabel, try that. That's not easy to say, Zerubbabel, don't name your doggy that. (laughs) Led this group. And the great king, Cyrus the Great, is the one that allowed them to go. This guy was magnificent. 50,000 Jews approximately signed up to go back. 50,000. 
None of them, hardly any of them had been born in Israel. They were all born in Persia. And here's what's fascinating about this. Isaiah calls this guy, Cyrus, my anointed in chapter 45. In chapter 44, it says something even more spectacular. Cyrus, my shepherd, who will fulfill my plan. By the way, my name's not in the Bible anywhere, and yours isn't either. His is. And Isaiah saw what he would do and saw his name 150 years before he was born. Now, this is his grave in Iran. Iran has, I think, the second most biblical sites of any other place other than Israel. Cyrus the Great, let me put history together for you, is the guy who took down the Babylonian Empire. Second group, which is a group we just read about. 458 B.C., last four chapters of the book, This is the palace or one of the palaces of Arda Xerxes. Can you say that with me? Let's practice Arda Xerxes, like Arda Choki, Doki. Arda Xerxes. He was the king that allowed this second group to go back. This is spectacular to me. I want you to look at something. These are on a cliffside. These are tombs of three of the greatest rulers that ever ruled this planet. They're all Persians. It's at outside the capital city, what used to be Persopolis. The one on the far left is Darius. The one in the middle is Xerxes. Everyone say Xerxes, Xerxes. He's the one that married Esther. Some of these folks are contemporaries. And then the one on the right is Xerxes' son, Artaxerxes. That's the king in chapter 8. Now, Xerxes was was not such a sweet cupcake all the time that you read the book of Esther and think, what a sweet, nice boy he is. He's a guy that took about 500,000 troops from Turkey and invaded Greece. And the 300 Spartans and 2,000 other Greeks fought his men at that defile at Thermopylae. If you've ever read the story of the 300, it was Xerxes' men. And when he killed everybody in sight there, he marched on Athens and burned it to the ground. Don't invite him to your birthday party. And this second group, It's been 80 years since the first group left. And Artaxerxes 
is probably the stepson of Queen Esther. 1,400 men go back on this second group with their family. So maybe 3,000, 4,000, maybe 5,000 people in a big RV convoy down I-75. Third group, 445 B.C., that's found in the book of Nehemiah. By the way, think with me for a minute. Why would a Persian king be gracious to the Jews? Maybe it's because his stepmother was a Jew. And his stepmother and his step-grandfather had saved the life of his father, the king. So this guy, Nehemiah, gets permission to go back too, and it is 13 years later. Why would this Jewish cupbearer have favor with the king? Because, again, it's Artaxerxes. Okay, let's go back to the story of Ezra chapter 8. I hope this is fitting together, making sense, and you go, oh, I didn't know this about the Bible. Well, I want you to know it. So they leave the capital city of Susa, and they walk on foot. It takes them about a week to get to old Babylon. This is kind of what Babylon looked like. And there's the Euphrates River that runs through it and runs beside it. This is another artist's rendering of this mega city. And the scripture says that we read in verse number, I think it's 22, the group of three, four, five thousand people, they camp beside a river, some versions say canal, called Ahava. Everyone say Ahava. Now they, they can't find this place anymore. Rivers change, rivers die, but canals were used by the Persians to, to tie into the Euphrates to move freight, trade goods, and for irrigation. So they get to, they've been traveling a week. And Ezra says, as a true leader, we got to stop. What we're trying to do is impossible. And if God doesn't help us, it's not going to happen. So they pause for three days for spiritual reasons. Now we are pausing for how many days? 40 days. Because we need the Lord to help us. This is today the Euphrates River, very close to where the site of ancient Babylon used to be. So he asked the people to join him in a fast. You say, Steve, what is a fast? Is it abstaining from TV? No. A fast biblically is abstaining from food. For a set period of time to seek the help of the Lord. That's what a biblical fast is. Most Christians don't know anything about it. Most Christians have never even done anything like this. And there's about five reasons. And the scripture tells us why this group fasted. The first one is they had to humble themselves before God. Now, I suggest you maybe take notes. I got four slides, 
You got to take notes if you want to. There's a little space at the bottom because we're talking about fasting and talking about humility. I want to talk to you about humility for a few minutes. Very important. What is humility? Humility is choosing a lowly position. It is an attitude that you take. False humility is not a good thing. To claim that you're not smart, to talk about how ungifted or incompetent you are is not humility. That is dumb. Humility means when you take a position that I, everything I do, I'm going to honor God first and I'm going to honor other people second. That is humility. Remember the old song? Less of me, more of him. That's humility. John the Baptist, the greatest person ever born of woman prior to the Gospels, said this, my goal, by the way, he's the guy who 100,000 people would come out to hear him preach. He was the most popular guy in the nation prior to Jesus. And he said this, I must decrease and he must increase. That is humility. Pride is the opposite of that. Pride exalts ourselves. Some other things about humility. Humility attracts the presence of the Lord. Humility is precious to the Lord. I don't know if humility is not the greatest trait found in Scripture. Well, why would you say that? Let me give you six reasons. Choosing the low position, instead of running to the front of the line, I run to the back of the line. Instead of making sure my needs are met, I help you get your needs met. That's humility. Humility puts you in a position to learn. When you are full of yourself and proud, you're not learning anything from anybody and you don't want to listen. It puts you in a position to grow. Because you know you don't know it all. Humility enables you to listen to others. Humility helps us adjust so we make the curve instead of crash in the curve. Humility puts you in a position to receive from God and others. And humility puts you in a position to be used of the Lord. Now, can I tell you the opposite? Pride kills every one of these. Pride, matter of fact, kills everything. It kills a marriage. Why is there a divorce? Pride every time. Pride kills churches. Pride kills careers. Pride kills entire nations. The Holy Spirit wants to align with people that walk in humility. 
and pride aligns you with the devil. Every single time. You could be 14 and full of pride. You can be 84 and be full of pride. You can be dumber than a box of rocks, richer than a hundred kings or poorer than a mouse and be full of pride. And pride is the beginning of all sin and the start of everything evil. So this is very serious stuff. So here's something I've never seen before until this week about fasting. Fasting is probably the quickest way to humble yourself in God's presence. Say this with me from Psalm 35, please. I humbled my soul with fasting. Fasting makes you slow down. Fasting makes you pause your busy schedule to seek God. Instead of eating lunch, going to my car, I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm going for a prayer walk, then I'm going back to work. It is a pause. It makes you put your agenda down. I've done this long enough. I don't want my agenda anymore. I don't care about my agenda. My agenda is worthless. What I want is his agenda. The father hates pride more than anything else. God sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to those who humble themselves. Grace is a force. Grace is a power. You didn't have it on Thursday, but you got it on Friday because he gave you grace. And let me encourage you. It's not talent that promotes you. It's not hard work that promotes you. It's not who you know that promotes you. It's the favor of God that promotes you. God sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will promote you. He will lift you at the proper time. Six different times in two chapters, Ezra said this, which kind of shows you his heart. It's the good hand of the Lord that's been upon me. Because he knew he couldn't do this. So, do you want God's hand? This demonstrated Ezra's humility before the Lord and his trust in the Lord. Because he said, who am I to do this? I can't do this. I can't do this. So, Our Savior stated this. Do you know the answer to this question? Apart from me, you can do pretty good. Is that what it says? Apart from me, you'll come out ahead. What does it say? Nothing. When are we going to figure that one out? 
So they needed strength for the journey. Well, how tough a journey is it? Look, look at the map. You see Susa on the bottom right? Takes them a week to get to Babylon. They only have 900 miles to go. 900 miles. If you go in the text, chapter 7, you add up so many days here, so many days there, so many days to get to here. They got there in about four months, which is pretty phenomenal. Next, they were concerned about their children. This is a dangerous, dangerous trip. Are you concerned about the next generation? Someone say amen. I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned. What kind of culture are we going to lead to the next generation? Talking about fasting, James and Shirley Dobson, I heard them say this decades ago. They took one day a week for decades to fast for their children. That God's hand would be on their children. And frankly, I think that's a pretty good deal. I can skip some meals to ask the Lord to come upon my children. The fourth thing they were concerned about, D, was they were carrying precious cargo by wagons to get to the promised land. Well, how precious was it? I've read this 50 times, but I never saw it. 25 tons of silver. That's a lot of money. Eight tons of silver and gold vessels. Eight tons. All other kinds of valuables. Because the Jews that couldn't leave Persia, they said, we can't go. We want to help you go. We want to help you get off to a good start when you get to the promised land. And here's what's even more fascinating. The stepson of Esther went to the temple treasury and took out everything Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the original temple, all the sacred things that they would use in worship in the new temple. And I want to say, God has given you precious cargo. You've got gifts like nobody else. You've you've got talent like nobody else. You've got opportunities like nobody else. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth, and it's because God has a calling for you. And the issue is, will you be faithful to what he's given you, what he's entrusted you in this short life? Can you deliver that to other people? You were given five talents or two talents or one talent. Will you represent him well? by helping other people with what he's given you. And the fifth reason, that journey was dangerous. How, how dangerous? And by the way, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Obeying God is spelled R. I-S-K. And there's no guarantee any of them would make it. Why? Because between Persia and the promised land, there are nations and thugs and raiding parties who make a living killing people. Make a living attacking caravans. Make a living with human trafficking, 
Whole economies built on this. That's all they do. By the way, the Edomites are people like this that the Lord condemned for their violence. And so it's a big deal. And Ezra says, he said, I'm ashamed. I feel bad. I can't go back to Artaxerxes and say, by the way, would you give me 500 cavalry guys? Would you give me 1,000 spearmen and some archers to get us there? Because frankly, we're afraid. He says, I can't do that because I've been bragging on how God takes care of us. Do you brag on the Lord? Now, you say, does it mean I should never ask for human help? I should never let a need be uh, made known? No, I tell people all the time I have needs and I ask for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Some of you need to do it more often. 14 years later, Nehemiah asked specifically for armed escort. That's how God led him to do it. Well, what's, what's the issue, Steve? Here's the issue. Are you ready? Here's the issue. When you have a need of any type, need at work, need at school, need in your family, ask for help. But before you go to a human for help, train yourself to go to the Lord. Go to the Lord with everything you need before you go to any person. He wants to teach you that he can help you every single day of your life. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And let me kind of put this in context. Because we don't want to hear the scripture and not apply the scripture. That would be dumb. That would be a waste of your time and my time too. We've just spent a bunch of time talking about good stuff. So Here's how I want to wrap this up. Is there a chance that you got a rough road ahead of you this year? Okay, what should, what do you recommend, Steve? One thing, fast and pray. That's what I recommend. How about the next thing? Are there uncertainties in your life? Someone say, yes, there are. What should I do, Steve? I would suggest fast and pray. That's what I suggest. How about this one? Do you feel overmatched? Do you ever feel overmatched? Hold your hand up. You feel overmatched? Guess what? Every day of my life, I feel like I'm out of my league. I can't do this. I don't know how to fix this. Got no idea. That makes me do something. Fast and pray. How about this one? Do you have loved ones that you're concerned about? Should I write them a letter? Should I preach at them? Should I ask Steve to show up at their house at 2 in the morning? No, you'll give me a shot. Thank you. What should I do? Here's what you should do. Fast and pray. Point number four. Do you have important decisions to make? Should I buy the house? Should I take the job in St. Louis? Should I quit my job and do this in ministry? What should I do? What do you recommend? Here's what you do. You fast and pray. Let him tell you. Point number five. 
Do you need clarity for your future? Can anybody guess what the answer is? I'm sorry, what's the answer? One more time, what's the answer? Fast and pray. Fast and pray. You'll make less mistakes. Don't decide. Fast and pray and let him tell you. Number six, do you want to hear his whisper? One word for him changes everything. Do you want to hear it? Well, if you don't slow up, if you don't pause, you're not going to hear the voice of the Lord. You're not going to hear the whisper. So I suggest fast and pray. And number seven, are you stuck? Things not working out in the marriage? I need another job. I need some stuff fixed. I need the Lord to come in and get me where I need to get because I can't get there. What do I do? Well, here's what I suggest. Can anybody take a guess? What would that be? It would be fast and pray. Now, I want to tell you as your big brother, pastor, you say, well, is fasting a lot of fun? Steve, what would you think? Your wife's, your wife's eating ice cream and you're sitting there reading your Bible. Uh, no, it is not fun. It is not fun. It's never been fun. But let me tell you what it is. It can be life-changing. It can be the smartest thing you ever do because a whole new vista opens up because the Lord showed up because you paused. But he shows up for people that really, really, really need and want his help. So here's the practical part. Picture yourself. We're at the canal Ahava. We've got a long journey to make. I'm asking you to join me. I've asked some of my prayer buddies, would you join me? And let's fast. Well, how much? I'll fast for five Fridays. You fast for 40 days. It's a joke. <laughs> Can we fast as a church for five Fridays? Just five Fridays. Test the Lord. See if it's a blessing. See if it helps. And those are starting next weekend, five Fridays. And the days are adjustable. You may not eat Thursday night and skip breakfast Friday morning and lunch Friday and then eat again Friday night. You can do it any way you want to. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can just skip one meal or skip two meals or skip lunch every day for three days. But would you join me? Let's see if the Lord won't meet us and do what he promised he would do. Now, the next few minutes are the most important time because it's your time. It's your time to respond to whatever he's saying to you. The altar and kneeling is a great way to humble yourself. It's amazing When you kneel, your heart flies open. 
Come to the altar. There's time. And whatever he's asking you to do, say yes to him. And it'll change your life. Let's respond during these next moments. still there is a healer his love is deeper than the sea his mercy is unfailing his arms a fortress for the weak let faith
when you just respond the Holy Spirit does the work and you say yes so I just before we close I want to speak a blessing over you and I want to pray for people that have never given their heart to Christ they may be watching online maybe in another country the Lord sees you so if you'd like to commit your life to Christ just let him change you from the inside right where you are Pray this powerful prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life today. Change me from the inside out. And Lord, make me a new creation. Give me a supernatural love for you, for prayer and the book. And call me to service. And I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, I just think there's a power for healing in this room today. 
And if you have a prayer need for healing, come down and let some of these folk pray with you and receive from the Lord. Slip out quietly. Others are doing business with the Lord. God bless you. Love you very much. Thank you.